0: In the fall of 2020, Martin Bispels bought a very pandemic-friendly business, one positioned to benefit from the consumer trends unfolding due to COVID. It was a direct-to-consumer, or DTC, brand, meaning essentially that it was an e-commerce brand with a Shopify store. And it sold bags for disc golf, a hobbyist, no-contact sport, the perfect activity for being outside safely. Not to say it was easy, though. When Martin and his partner acquired the business, Revenue stood at $0 in inventory at zero units. Martin was going to have to rebuild it from an absolute standstill. And he did. When Martin came on Acquiring Mines in September 2021, he was on track to reach $2 million a year in sales, just one year after buying the business. Today, you'll hear how things have gone since. As we all know, e-commerce has softened, and people are spending less time and money on their outdoor activities. Martin's business has felt those shifts. A few of my favorite topics in our conversation are how to think about acquiring a consumer product brand, what it's like to move your supply chain from China to Vietnam, and the high availability of talent if you're operating a remote business. Finally, Martin is a brand guy. He works for years at QVC, the shopping channel. So pay attention to how he thinks about brands. It's not something we talk about much on Acquiring Minds. The businesses many of my guests acquire are operations heavy, so operations are what gets attention. But maybe your average small business buyer isn't thinking about brand enough and is leaving some opportunity on the table. See if you agree. Here's Martin Bisbells, owner of Upper Park Disc Golf. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs, and on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Listeners of Acquiring Minds know that for almost any business you acquire, its success comes down to the people and how you develop and manage them as their new leader. Thing is, in addition to management, there is also a lot of process and bureaucratic work when it comes to your new employees. Payroll, compliance, HR technology, hiring, to name but a few. These processes are crucial to get right, but at the same time distract from where you want to be putting your energy, in leadership. So, Aspen HR is an HR firm and PEO that takes this work off your plate and handles it with the care it demands. Aspen is owned and run by Mark Sinatra, himself a successful former searcher, so Aspen's own leadership understands the HR challenges that searchers have post-acquisition. The firm is offering Acquiring Minds listeners a complimentary pre-acquisition HR and PEO review for your target business. Check out AspenHR.com or contact Mark directly at mark@aspenhr.com. Martin Bisbells, welcome back to Acquiring Minds. Thanks so much. Yeah, great to be here. Well, good to see you again. Martin, I first interviewed you uh, back on September 7, 2021. So, about 20 months ago, you'd bought a consumer product business, a D2C business, Upper Park Disc Golf, that manufactures and sells its own line of bags for people who play the sport of disc golf. So we're going to get an update on how things have gone in the last year and a half plus since we talked. But first, Martin, can you refresh our memories and give us a little bit more on your backstory and how it was that you came to acquire Upper Park Disc Golf?
1: Yeah. So my background is as a, you know, a big company executive. I resigned at 14, had my own consulting practice, and then looked to uh, acquire this business in September of 20, uh, after COVID had really taken hold. And- looking for something new in the next chapter. So we acquired the business by business partner Jim and I uh, in September of 20. The business had been around since 2011, uh, but we liked what we saw and so we thought we could take it to the next level.
0: The One of the striking things from that interview, Martin, was that you basically bought a business that, yes, while it had some history, the sales were literally at zero in the moment you bought it. And so was the inventory. So it kind of come to an absolute halt. Yeah. And while you saw a lot of good bones in the business, happy customers, a proven track record, solid products, a passionate founder, you were still going to kind of have to resurrect this 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 business. Um, and you were well on your way to doing so when we talked in September 2021. We we literally talked the day after your 1-year anniversary of buying <laughs> the business. <laughs> um So tell us, and in that moment, you were looking at revenues getting to about $2 million or over $2 million. That was your next big milestone um, in fall 2021. Can you give us a sense of where revenues are today?
1: Yeah. So we haven't gotten quite there, but we're certainly better than we were our first year, which is good. Uh, Gross revenues definitely eclipsed a million. And I think we can still get there within maybe another year or two. Uh, based on you know trend and what we're doing to move the business. Mm-hmm.
0: And in many ways, the business seemed like a very COVID-friendly business. It was D2C e-commerce, yeah. and it was in a sport that was an outdoor sport. And not only that, an outdoor sport where you don't necessarily have to be close to one another. Um, for, for those who aren't familiar with disc golf, maybe give us five seconds or 10 seconds on, on what that looks like. And then, and then my question will be, um, have you basically felt the slowdown in kind of COVID activities and e-commerce? Those, those two things that you were probably benefiting from, have you also felt a slowdown in?
1: Yeah. So, uh all the things you said were true uh, in addition to the fact that disc golf was just exploding as a sport. It's one of the most Mm. popular sports right up there with pickleball that everybody talks about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, and still, even now, five new disc golf courses are going on the ground every day. So it's still growing very fast. Uh, And so we caught that wave. Um, I would say that, you know, we're still, we're still growing, uh, but it's certainly been challenged. I think, you know, partly just by, the economy being very bumpy, uh, it's just inconsistent, right? You know, you, as you see a lot of e-commerce reporting uh, and trends and benchmarks and all of this, it's just very bumpy, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's still mm-hmm. strengths, you know, areas of strength, but a lot of areas that are struggling uh, for various reasons, supply chain, whatever, uh, consumer behavior, et cetera. Uh, and so we're just sort of riding that wave and we're kind of somewhere in the middle.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. And, and what does the sport look like?
1: Uh, you know, still growing like crazy. The professional game is certainly growing and becoming more popular. Uh, the crowd size, for example, at major events is growing. Um, more people are, are aware of it. Uh, it's still one of those things that people are either way, way into it or they're like, what are these metal baskets in the middle of the woods, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's still that sort of tipping point where people really get it and get into it. Um, Uh, And so, you know, sports growing, the community is great. It's certainly changing as well uh, in a variety of ways. We sponsor over 60 players. So we're very in tune with what's kind of happening. uh, You know, as I like to say, you know, what's the word on the course, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so you really understand what's happening out there as far as trends and competitors and, you know, player activity and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's still a fun place to be, a good community of people.
0: Martin, when you talk about the business being lumpy, bumpy, that says to me kind of unpredictable. <laughs> and a lot in the economy is unpredictable uh, and particularly now. But one of the things that was really striking about our first conversation, and, and you were one of my earlier interviews, I've, I've since interviewed many dozens of people more, and it's still listening back to your interview was striking. You and your business partner were extremely methodical in planning what you would do the business after you acquired it. You had very structured plans for what it was going to look like in terms of the people you were going to hire, what you were going to hire them for, what you were going to spend, your budgeting. I think you had a 3 five, 10 year plan even. How, how does that, how, how, is all of that stuff still in play or is it kind of out the window with the un- unpredictable nature of what this market is?
1: Yeah, I, I it's certainly still very much in play. So I, I think I mentioned I use uh, EOS, which is the Entrepreneur Operating System. Mm. And it's mm-hmm. part of that. Uh, it's available at EOS worldwide. It's a free plug. I'm not paid by them or anything. Uh, but I found it to be very helpful both with Uh, Upper Park, but also when I was consulting, uh, you know, and using it with my consulting clients. So it's a system of, you know, tools and tactics to be able to run the business. And as part of that, right, having a one-year, three-year, 10-year goal and plans very specifically, not just revenue, but really what the business will look like, how we will operate. And we're still very much following that. Uh, So, uh, and I find that to be very helpful uh, because when things are lumpy, right, we have days that we're like, wow, we're doing great or weeks or months. And other where we say, oh, gosh, that wasn't what we expected. Uh, you know, that is still a, a good uh, anchoring point of where, where we're going and how we're going to get there uh, specifically. So right down to quarterly goals, knowing what are the three most important things we're going to do this quarter. Uh, and what I find in, in working with, you know, different businesses of all different sizes is, you know, half the battle is getting all of the people to row in the same direction right? You know, people can do anything, businesses can do anything. I'm a firm believer and I'm very optimistic when it comes to that. But yeah, ha- everyone has to know what the plan is and be marching towards it. Otherwise, I can't tell you the number of consulting clients I've had where you walk in with the senior team and you say, okay, everybody, what what are the three most important things you're working on right now? <laughs> and, you know, they feel like and by the end of the conversation, they're like, no, what do you mean? I thought we were, you know... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but you know what? That's all opportunity because, you know, if the business is already doing okay and you can just get a little more aligned around these things, then you can really, you know, gain, gain traction and momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I try to do that uh, as, you know, as CEO of Elter of Park, making sure everyone, our design team, our vendors, our you know, social media person, everybody understands uh, what, what it is we're trying to achieve and how we're going to get there. Uh, and so whether it's a marketing initiative or uh, whatever, supply chain changes or whatever, you know, trying to inform, keep people informed so they feel like they're part of something and they understand why uh, we're doing certain things.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. And, and Martin, I actually don't think that you called out EOS in our first conversation. Oh. So I didn't realize it, that you were using EOS. Um, and, and so you can... EOS works just as well in a D2C remote-operated e-commerce business as it does in a traditional in-person services business?
1: Oh, I find it does. Matter of fact, I think it's even more helpful because (laughs) you're not in person. You know, I'm running the entire business from my barn. None of my team – my supply chain guy was here once. (laughs) But everyone has worked remotely. Uh, I only met my developer last summer because we were both at an event that I invited her to. Uh, So being remote, it makes it even more important, you know, to over-communicate and have everyone on the same page, right? Mm -hmm. That's talked about a lot in business, but this is a way to actually make it happen. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Great. And your team, I believe, when we spoke last was around... Seven people. I don't recall if that was seven people plus you. Or anyway, what is your what does your team look like today? Yeah, so now we're actually
1: uh, at about four uh, because I've trimmed things down a little bit and I've taken on some of it myself. Uh, for example, uh, paid advertising. You know, I've I've had uh, people focused on that. I've had agencies. I've tried. I've done it myself. Uh, it's one of those things that you know, one of many things that I can do. I know how, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a question of how is my time best spent, right? You mm-hmm. know, is it doing that or is it getting someone who has that expertise and letting them run at it? Um, but, you know, we've continued to make uh, personnel changes. And, you know, the, the, it's just amazing uh, how much good talent is out there uh, and, quite honestly, what you can get for the, for the price. Uh, you know, you can get some virtual people that are happy uh, to work remotely M- my developer lamia is amazing uh, you know but and she's very experienced she's done big things in the past and uh, but loves working uh, with us in upper park and uh, you know and and it's it's economical for me i'm not paying for an office and benefits and all of that uh, and so you know we've been fortunate to be able to have the right people in the right seats which is another eos uh, uh, tool or, or way of thinking about it um, and that's been extraordinarily helpful.
0: Martin, one of the things that you had said toward the end of our conversation last time is you ask yourself every day, you make a point to set aside some time every day to say, what can only I at do? What can only I as CEO leader of this organization do? Because as you said, you've witnessed so many entrepreneurs and leaders get into the weeds, they can't help themselves. And so you have this daily discipline where you force yourself to say, what is the thing that only I can be working on and that's where I should put my energy? Um, doing the managing the ads online is now something that you consider that you should, should be doing A A, and B, do you still, do you still have that daily ritual?
1: Yeah, I do definitely have a daily ritual and it's not an ego thing. It sounds, you know, egotistical to say, what can only I do? It's not, that's not it. it. It's really how is my time best spent, right? Right. And, and right. therefore, what am I spending the time on that truly only I can do? The big strategic relationships, the bigger decisions, the setting of the annual goals, uh, you know, those kinds of things are, are where I should be focused on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hire people that are smarter than me uh, to to do all of the all of the nits and nats of the business, right? Whether it's paid ads or social media or et cetera. Um, And then, you know, I also have found, and this has been uh, something new since the last time we spoke, you know, even finding uh, people that are are willing to help out, Uh, you know, for example, some of the player team, uh, you know, who are people we're sponsoring, right? Because they're either pro players playing on the tournaments or they're helping out with, uh, you know, in their their running events, their local areas. and What I've found is that they want to be involved. And so, for example, we build a Discord channel, uh, and w- and one of our team members said, "Well, I've built a bunch of these before. I- I'd love to help build it." Right. Great, That's you know, and I you know sent him a bag as a thank you, you know, and mm-hmm. and so there's, uh, you know, there's some neat uh, dynamics there when you get people involved because they truly want to be involved. It's not because they're looking for their next job, you know, uh, and 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 I think that makes it stronger because then you know he's invested in it and he has you know, uh, something he's passionate about and, and, and our Discord channel is great now. It's just for the team.
0: You just said a couple minutes ago, Martin, it's amazing how much good talent is out there and at a frankly reasonable price. Well, that's going to that's gonna be uh, news to the ears of many of my listeners uh, <laughs> for whom finding people to hire is, is their biggest bottleneck, their biggest challenge. Yeah. Now, obviously, as a remote business and online e-commerce, D2C business, call it what you will, you have the great benefit of of the entire world being your your labor pool, yeah. um, so I guess the question would be: if you're looking at Upwork or, or or just sort of any online platform to hire somebody either in the U.S. or around the world, you don't feel like the labor um, supply has has tightened noticeably, like it has in you know in the domestic u.s market of hiring people to 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 to, to do you know physically show up right
1: yeah i, I honestly don't I, I feel like there's just as much if not more talent available and and i and i come to that uh because I, I you know even way before COVID, i was using virtual assistants for example so working remotely and using virtual assistants was not something i was trying to figure out you know in march of 2020 when everything when right. the world changed uh I had already years of experience, right? Of and I think there's a couple of things. One is there's a ton of agencies and all kinds of virtual assistant, you know, places and you know, a million platforms to find people. But that's not the hard part. You know, it, the, the, the most important part is giving people, you know, clear accountabilities, clear understanding of what's expected of them. Managing the people is really what's most important, setting clear expectations and accountabilities. Uh, and, and, you know, building a culture uh, around a team, even though it's remote, uh, that they want to be a part of, right? So another part of EOS that we've really instilled is our core values. And I tell people right up front, even before I hire them, uh, you know, that this is what we stand for. This is what we're all about. One of our core values is be a good human, right? Another is create legendary relationships, and so I, I talk about these, these core values with anybody that I'm gonna hire. Uh, they understand all of that. They understand their accountabilities. Uh, it's crystal clear. And again, I think that's half the battle. It goes, just like I said, about having everyone rowing in the same direction. That communication uh, is, is absolutely critical. And I think that's part of what's, you know, led to having great people on the team.
0: I wanna share an update on the Acquisition Lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Dybel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired, and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Urson, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a $1 million in EBITDA in just six months. And he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood. Chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Back now to some of the dynamics of the business. Um, Are you all selling on Amazon? (laughs) We're not. And the reason I laugh is, uh, you know,
1: I think I shared before that (laughs) Uh, I am not a fan of selling on Amazon. Um, and uh, interestingly, you know, we surveyed our customers. And we asked them, where are you buying your disc golf stuff? All of your discs, you know, discs, whatever. Uh, and f- less than 1% said Amazon, which honestly was surprising because everybody buys stuff like this. But yeah. what it led to was an understanding of that and some other survey results and talking to customers. You know, they want to buy from people who love disc golf and are really into it. And know what they're talking about, uh, and so you know, and I think that's a differentiator uh, of our business. You know, when we bought the business, it was from a guy John who loved disc golf. He worked in the industry. He really knew disc golf. He knew why that he had designed the bags the way he w- would want one as a disc golf player. Uh, so it was different than somebody who maybe makes luggage and all of a sudden decided to make disc golf, you know, backpacks. Uh, mm-hmm. Just completely different mindset. And and so uh, I think the customer respects the fact that we that we know what we're talking about. I've played disc golf for thirty years myself. I have a basket right out here by my grill outside my barn. Uh, I play all the time. And mm-hmm. so I think the customer can kind of feel that. Uh, it, it certainly comes through in our social posts and uh, the way we support the team and the way we support uh, a nonprofit, a disc golf uh, related nonprofit called You Play Disc Golf, where I'm president of the board of directors uh and it comes across in our customer satisfaction and which is 98% which I'm very proud of. Uh and so, you know, I think we can sell on Amazon perhaps just as a way to get eyeballs. I almost look at Amazon as as TikTok advertising, right? We've done our fair share of, you know, Google and Facebook Meta advertising and TikTok in my opinion is still good for brand awareness but not necessarily conversions. And I think Amazon is kind of the same. I think it's a way to be out there. Uh, so we might list a few items there, uh, but it's it's mostly going to be a D2C play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. On the point about e-commerce and passion products or passion industries, I've looked at a number of e-commerce deals, Martin, and, and although not one like Yours, and so maybe this is. I'm going to answer my own question, but um, I often ask myself when I see some of these businesses, even if they're D2C, it's not clear to me why they continue to get traffic. It's often not clear to me why they continue to get traffic and customers instead of Amazon, because what they might be selling, it's if it's not their own product, if it's not their own branded product, for example, but they're you know they're a, a store for X category. Mm. Why they kind of what value proposition they have. Over Amazon, um, and you might uh, and you might say, well, they, you know, there are going to be people who don't like Amazon. Okay, but that that's not a strong enough value proposition for me. <laughs> you might say that there are some legacy buyers who have just been buying from the same e-commerce store forever. Also, not strong enough for me. Um, do Do you have any on uh, thoughts on this question and in, in e-commerce? Broadly I guess what I'm, I'm trying to draw you out on there will be a lot of people listening who have looked at e-commerce businesses and what they can learn from your experience in buying an e-commerce business versus the many that you see for sale out there. Mm.
1: Yeah, so I think you know you have to do a lot of things right. <laughs> and it's difficult. It's, it's, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um and I think differentiating from what else is on Amazon, uh, you know, when I was at QBC, you know, when I led sales there, uh, you know, we would talk a lot about the difference between buying and shopping. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and Amazon is very much a buying. You know, I need deodorant, I go on, I'm on there for 30 seconds, I, I click, click, and I'm done. You know, that's not a shopping experience. And, and believe me, I know this is soft, right? You know, it's a soft reason. But I do think that there is something about the experience, like I said, of buying from people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, Amazon's site is very, you know, it's, it's very sterile. Right, you know, it's all mm-hmm. about efficiency, and you know, and God knows they've tested it a, a million ways to know what the best click through rate and all of that. You know, I think an e commerce business on a Shopify platform, for example, can you know t- can tell the story better. I think can 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 relate to the community. We we have great UGC, for example. Uh, you know, we have videos of our players reviewing the bags. You know, y- y- there's a there's a sense of uh, you know, a real sense of brand that comes through on an e-commerce site that just you just can't replicate on on uh, on an Amazon. So I think that's part of it.
0: <laughs> and Martin, uh, another thing that a lot of the listeners will be contemplating is is if they were to buy an e-commerce business or already have, or frankly any business, buying a second one and a third one, perhaps, and maybe building a portfolio or a, a, a small hold co. Um, you had m a experience from your corporate years then you did this deal you kind of as an entrepreneur you did a deal have you looked at doing another acquisition either within disc golf or or without
1: yeah we've certainly looked at it and because the advantages are clear right you know the operational leverage you know call them economies of scale you can call it whatever you want but right to 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 be able to for example you know, have your 3PL costs spread out over a couple of business, you know, is, is obvious advantage uh, and and tough for a single business to, you know, to optimize. So I'm, I'm going through that now. And I'm we're on our uh, fourth 3PL uh, <laughs> in, in the two and a half years uh, because we've had issues and I've had to dig in and I'm still having issues. And, you know, used to, there's always more to do there. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I think you know we we have looked at other opportunities, uh, both in disc golf and outside, uh, to see you know small cap ventures is our parent company, and uh, certainly that that could be a holding business for a number of different businesses, not just this one. Uh, and so you know we're opportunistic. We'll 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 do it if it makes sense. Uh, we certainly don't have uh, you know unlike my one three and ten year plan. Uh, we don't have a particular target or goal for this year a number of businesses or anything like that Uh, but you know we have looked at uh, possible adjacencies we've also looked at the other opportunity the other way to look at this which is you know there are a number of, of strategics within uh the disc golf space and the sporting goods space uh that you know would be sort of logical partners uh you know maybe to come in on a on an equity basis And so we've looked at that and we've had some conversations, you know, nothing imminent, but, you know, there's possibilities there. And I like that because I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, if you share the pie, the pie gets bigger. You know, I really do Mm -hmm. believe that. And, um, you know, the right kind of partnership that adds real value and connections, you know, could make some sense. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: One of the reasons that I'm interested in your view there is not just because that's how my listeners are are thinking, but also because when I kind of hear how you're describing your business, when we talked um, back in September 2021, you'd taken it from zero to approaching $2 million in revenue in in, in in a year. And now things have gotten a little lumpier, a little flatter. And so the game has shifted perhaps from kind of high growth, to operational efi- efficiency, mm-hmm. and there's only so much operational efi- efficiency that you can really wring out of out of your operations. Uh, at which point, a lot of people in 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 this audience will, you know, will will consider inorganic growth, buying another business, right. as the way to 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 um to to grow either that business or a holdco. So right. I, I was just, it, does that play into your? Your thoughts about what the future holds, because Upper Upper Park is is maybe a little bit um, more mature and less high growth than it was when we talked last. That you know, looking around for ways to grow would would necessarily include buying buying more stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, it certainly could, and and you know, if it's the right match and and the right complement to the business, right, or if there's operational efficiencies because we do similar things and can share resources, absolutely. And I and I look at those things, uh, but but I also look at you know what else can we add to the business, right? And what what else can we sort of bolt on? Uh, for example, we we sell disc golf bags. Uh, you know, there's a number of, we don't sell discs. It's the most obvious category. Uh, so we're actually going to be launching our line of discs here soon. Uh, you know, and and we'll again do it in a curated way. I'm not trying to be the biggest disc seller out there. Uh, but we'll do things that are obvious complements to what we to what we have, right? Some branded products, for example. Um, another way to grow that's sort of in the partnership category that I really like um, is 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 having other Shopify store products uh, on our site, right? Basically through a dropship kind of platform. And it's funny, I, you know, I attended the Shopify uh, employee offsite uh, events last summer, three of them. Mm-hmm. and I said to them, you know, why isn't it easier for Shopify sellers to just sell each other's products, you know? like It's a great other... idea. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of cool products out there and companies that have neat, you know, like us, like niche, you know, innovative. Um, and and so now, of course, uh, and they said, yeah, that's, you're right. Well, I don't know if it existed back then or not, but now we, we've actually discovered there's an app called Caro, uh, C-A-O-R-O, that uh, allows us to do just that. And there's thousands of products in their marketplace, and the, the tech is good, and they make it very easy. So we just added some apparel and some gear items, uh, you know, as a way to broaden our assortment, right? And if you give the customers more to look at and more to shop for, it's going to bring more traffic and engagement, you know, mm-hmm. and you'll sell more bags, you know. So mm-hmm. we've been leveraging that. That's very recent, uh, and then, so that's kind of a way to, you know, sort of get your it get the advantage, right, of having additional products and and some of those efficiencies, uh, without actually you know doing an acquisition.
0: Hmm. What, I want to tie this back into this distinction you made between shopping and buying, and I think it is probably self explanatory. But but indulge us and, and give us that 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 framework for thinking about those two different those two activities differently.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think any kind of commodity product, you know, it's really just about price and you don't really care what brand of deodorant you're going to use. Maybe there's some ingredients you care about, but not really. And, and it's whatever's on sale, fine. <laughs> That's very different from, you know, the kinds of products that we sell and also that I remember, you know, from my days at QVC where, you know, there's a story, there's a founder story, there's an origin story of how they came up with the product and how it's made and where it's sourced and you know one of my favorites uh, a guy that i've recently run into is he has a honey farm in colorado and he has 150 hives and he makes this amazing honey it's called frangiosa farms and uh uh, and the guy nick is the owner and he's just the nicest guy and he's got the handlebar mustache and you know (laughs) and his kids help him you know on the farm and and so there's really something special about that and feeling you know when i have his honey I, feel like there's a real connection there, uh, as opposed to just, you know, whatever honey is in the supermarket aisle, you know? Mm Uh, and I think that's a real difference. I, I, like those kinds of things. I like supporting businesses that I like and, and admire and respect. Um, it, I feel like my life is richer when I have those kinds of products and stories, uh, you know, in my life, um, and I think, you know, the most people are the same, you know, but again, there's other times when I just, I know what I want and I just, you know, send it to me and it'll be here tomorrow. Great. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So to me, that's the difference between shopping and buying. And I think, okay. again, it's the power of brand, right? It's really just all comes back to building a brand, explaining your brand, living your brand values. That, that's just critical.
0: Well, at the risk of, of uh, overstating this or over analyzing it, I, I wonder if there's for for people interested in buying an e commerce business, if there's a um, a thesis or or at least a, a criterion of look for D 2 C businesses that are what you just described, that are kind of founder owned, led, the brand proposition is 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 really. Clear and and strong, and there's kind of craftsmanship behind it. All all of the things that we associate with craft and and quality, um, but which are frankly very lacking in the world of e-commerce because there's so much. At least it's less so now, but for years there was so much drop shipping and so much the the Amazonification of everything, and nearly every product category was just commoditized to death. Um, but I, I wonder if if um, that resonates with you, kind of, if, if if people out there are interested in buying an e-commerce business, if it should be something like what you described, something where there's a real uh, brand there and a real founder story behind it, as opposed to something more commoditized. I
1: think so. I mean, I, I, first of all, it's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if all you're doing is chasing price, you know, it, it's short-term, it's not a lot of fun, you're under constant pressure, the margins suck, you know, <laughs> and so... Uh, that's not a, a fun way to, to run a business. Uh, and you know, so I stay away from those things, both when I was consulting and, and certainly with Upper Park. Now, you can certainly still deliver a strong value, right? You know, We're, we're very tight on our operational efficiency. I've you know, worked closely with the factory, our supply chain, the 3PL, everywhere to make sure the value chain is all there so that we're offering a great value to the customer. Uh, And part of that is looking at competition and understanding where you sit, you know, your pricing versus theirs, all of that. And the product, you know, the merchandising itself. We introduced a new bag model uh, because I wanted something around that $100 mark, which we didn't have. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, to be a a player in the full range of the market possibilities, we're never going to make a $20 bag. uh, But we wanted to have something more at that $100, more entry level kind of, you know, you're serious about this golf, but you're not ready to spend $250, Right. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so then, so it goes right in through to your merchandising. But yeah, looking at the criteria like we originally looked at, of you know something that's not a commodity business, something that's on trend, something that uh, you know has decent uh, margins, but you can offer a, a strong value, uh, something with a, a, a strong supply chain uh, uh, available. Uh, and we've been very fortunate there, and we've improved that substantially since we bought the business um we we, for example we don't source in china anymore we moved to vietnam uh that was a huge change uh the 3pl changes i talked about um there's been a ton of packaging i mean there's a ton of other things our sustainability initiatives all of our bags are made out of recycled material now that's a big differentiator so you know a business if i was looking for a business to buy now i'd probably follow many of those same criteria uh and you know uh you know, expand on it a little bit, uh, and and probably lean even more into the brand, the founder story, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, and the most obvious way to do that, by the way, is look at product reviews. Because uh, you're right, when we bought the business, there was zero inventory, zero sales, but there are a whole bunch of positive reviews of people saying we love these bags. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I mean, so the you know the first order of business was just get in stock because once we have product, people will buy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, so.
0: and how big was the list of customers when you acquired the business? I mean, you could immediately send them an email and probably start driving. Yeah. Than, hey, we're back in stock. Yeah, right. I think it was about 8,000 and we've doubled that uh, in the time we've had it. Eight? It's like an 8, email 000? list
1: of about 8,000 people, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Great. You know what we're and we're going to be wrapping up here, Martin, in a minute. But um, just a a couple more quick questions for you, again, just to try to kind of glean what we can from the opportunity that you found in Upper Park. Uh, A later guest of mine from our conversation, Keith Leimbach, bought a DTC business um, offering um, something in the automotive business. He he was had to be quiet about it. He was under non disclosure. He had subsequently sold to PE. But um it was kind of an attachment to vans um that enabled people to people who were living out of their vans, you know, hashtag van life to 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 do so you know more comfortably. Um so similar to yours, it was a D2C product. It was a product that had been designed by the founder, a product person. Mm-hmm. It was selling into um if you will, a hobby community. I mean, van life people. You know, it's a way of a life, a lifestyle brand. Definitely
1: community there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And people were passionate about the product, and it it did very well. And as I said, he he sold after a short amount of time of ownership to, to private equity. Um, so I guess I guess the other thing here is if you can if you can identify communities or lifestyle brands, things that, that where. Um, people are really passionate about something because if you have a product that they like, it probably travels quickly. There's probably a word of mouth effect there that there isn't when it comes to, as you said, deodorant or whatever other commoditized <laughs> product. I, I'm just struck by the similarities between your the two the two products that you and in Keith bought. Care to respond to that? Absolutely. So you know,
1: look, the way we we buy products, most humans, is, you know we, we we have an emotional connection and then we justify it uh, and to justify the purchase. You know, we we have that. Oh wow, that's cool, and that a lot of that has to do with identity, right? Who am I as a person? How do I want to portray myself to the world? And we do that through the products we buy, right? And so you know, the van is this embodiment of your personality and your identity, right? Um, and so you know, uh, understanding that and and then. You know, communicating back to brand, you know, uh, communicating what it is that uh, we stand for, right, with our core values and our social media showing, you know, it's not just here's a product, buy it, or here's a product, here's a sale. It's, you know, this is what we stand for. This is how we live. Here's examples of our players or us, you know, uh, living the disc golf lifestyle, right? You know, and, and, and you can have this too right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a mm-hmm. classic, you know, sort of marketing tactic and way of explaining products because it's not the physical thing, you know, it's what it does for you, right? And so what is the benefit of this product in your life? And if you can bring that alive, uh, as the best marketers do, uh, you can be very successful and actually satisfy your customer most of all, you know, not just sell them something once, but satisfy them to the point that they want more of it, right, in their life. And we're fortunate that way. People have three, four, five of our bags, you know. Uh, when they only need, need one at a time. Mm-hmm,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, just uh, let's get into the, the mechanics of e-commerce for a minute because you've said two interesting things that, again, I think people listening who might be interested in e-commerce would like to learn from you uh, about. Moving to Vietnam, so we're we're hearing about this 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 um what disentanglement uh, between the U.S. and Chinese supply chains for all kinds of geopolitical reasons we don't need to go into. Um, also because China has just gotten expensive to the point where the China of 2023 is is Vietnam and and, and so on. So anyway. Um, I've heard about this. I've seen headlines about this, but you're the first person I'm, I'm talking to who's actually moved their supplier, their manufacturer from China to Vietnam. Give us a couple minutes on what that looked like.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, from the very beginning, honestly, when we acquired the business in September of 20, I knew that I wanted to make this change. And it was a matter of finding the right uh, manufacturing partner. And so uh, we did that through our design team, whose wonderful connections and you know, our design team uh, is is just fantastic. They're veterans of the space. Uh, and it's all about relationships and experience, right? And so, sure, anyone can go on Alibaba and find somebody to make something for them. Uh, but that is only the beginning. It's the tip of the iceberg when it actually comes to getting a quality product that's truly dialed in the way our, our products are. We're on version 7.8 of each of these bags because John the original owner and now us with John's help because I kept them in the business you know have continued to just refine and tweak based on customer feedback based on ours so we have all of that knowledge and 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 design specs right that have been developed over time and so we often talk about original designs it's not just that we took something and knocked knocked off somebody else um, but the process, you know, was a lot of uh, vetting and conversation and relationship building. Uh, and then there's the tactical part of actually getting samples and make sure they are what they're supposed to be. But, you know, the advantages are clear. I mean, the, the people in China were lovely. You know, lots of video calls, very nice people. Uh, but sure, the geopolitical stuff, the fact that I can stand in front of our customers and tell them that, you know, we're not sourcing out of China... And that spy balloon that you heard about—you know—you don't have to worry about that. Uh, the fact that the people that make our bags go home to their families at night—you know—those those things all matter. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the quality of the materials, the certification—you know—when we moved into recycled materials, uh, knowing that they truly are certified recycled materials, you know, and that they're not—you know—a lot of greenwashing goes on right? Mm. Well, they'll, they'll take new stuff, new materials, grind it up and call it recycled. It's, it's crazy mm. what what happens. And so, uh, you know, the quality of the craftsmanship as well. And so, uh, all of those reasons were the reason to move. And then the process was all about building the relationship, you know, uh, in the scheme of things, we're a smaller player. And so any of these factories, of course, if you run in a factory, it's all about volume, right? And so, you know, Working with them, convincing them that you're going to be a good partner, you're not just making one order, that you're going to come back for more and build the business over time. Those are all the things that they're looking for, you know. And and you have to sort of prove yourself uh, uh, in order to get there. Uh, and so that's been that's really. Been so it's you compelling.
0: selling them yeah. on
1: you. Yes,
0: and and is that is that just because you chose a manufacturer that? had a great reputation, lots of demand for their services, and it was that sort of dynamic uh, that, that you really had to convince them to take your business?
1: Uh, yes, and just the fact that we're, you know, we are in a niche business, right? So we're not, you know, the size of some of their other customers, yeah. right? So, uh, you know, they're willing to take us on, but they they want to know that we're going to keep growing and keep bringing them orders. Otherwise, it's just yeah. not worth their time, you know, uh, for right. a one-off order, right? None of these None of these factories are looking for one-off customers. It's a... It's a hassle because you know there's a lot of work that goes into these products and actual learning how to build these products. I mean, the, the craftsmanship is 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 extensive, and mm-hmm. so uh, you know they don't want to just make one something one time and then sort of that knowledge is lost. They want to you know bring that back and keep making the bags better, uh, mm-hmm. keep making the products better, and and so we're in a we're in a good position there.
0: Great. You had mentioned that you've, I think you said you're on your fourth 3PL. So yes. is finding a good 3PL, I, I, this is news to me. I didn't realize it was that hard uh, in e-commerce. So I guess it is.
1: It is. And, you know, each has their own strength, And, and you know, really what it comes down to is what's the best match for your kind of business, right? Because they all serve different kinds of businesses, different audiences, some are more on the, you know, uh, the big box. Uh, you know, they're fulfilling the e-commerce orders for big box retailers. Well, that's completely different from truly being focused on e-commerce, and so, and then the efficiencies around that, and then the, you know, the packaging uh, options and and choices and and optimization of the of the packaging uh and of course the shipping rates and all of that so it's a lot and to find the the best one for your business is is not easy it just isn't mm-hmm. okay
0: and john the founder is he still working with you guys Oh, no, very much so yeah so oh, very great.
1: active uh, i'm on slack with him all the time trading ideas uh he's been great now he has a full-time job he and his wife just had a baby and uh, so he's certainly busy but uh, you know, from the beginning, I, you uh, know, very first phone call, I told him, uh, I, we're, we're going to make you an offer, but I actually want you to stay part of the business. Uh, and I gave him a nice equity stake in order to do that uh, because uh, he had great knowledge, you know, about the business and some relationships in the space. And, uh, and even two and a half years later, you know, that has still come in handy and been valuable. So uh, I'm glad that he's uh, part of it. I, He's a good, really good guy too, which makes it even better. Um, uh, but he also, you know, appreciates that we've taken, you know, the business, uh, you know, to a new level and, and leaned in a lot more on brand, uh, than really he had time, uh, to do before, um, and expanded the team, you know, again, more than he had time to do. Um, so he appreciates, you know, sort of the updates we've made to the, to the business. Um, and yeah, it's something I'd recommend, you know, it's gotta be the right fit and there's gotta be the right relationship there. But, uh,
0: you know when it works, it's it's very very helpful. You know it's interesting, Martin. A lot of my guests will feel, particularly first time acquisition entrepreneurs, will feel like they really want that seller owner around for as long as possible because they're insecure about you know the knowledge transfer and making sure mm-hmm. you know that, that all of the potential um, all of the potential risk in a transition uh, y- having the owner there as long as possible in theory would smooth things out. But then, what you'll also hear is that kind of once that first transition is is passed, maybe the first thirty or sixty days, it actually starts to feel a little—I don't know—too many cooks in the kitchen, <laughs> and uh, and 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 they'll and they'll be surprised at at, at finding that oh, actually, I kind of want the seller to be on their merry way. But please respond.
1: I mean, it's really just about communication and expectations. You know, uh, from the very first phone call, I said to him. Uh, you know, I understand what you're saying, but, but Mm. from the very first phone call, I said to him, all right, what do you love to do? He goes, I love designing the bags, making the bags better, figuring out how to make them. Okay. What do you not like to do? Oh God, the supply chain stuff and the customer support. Great. I'll hire people and I'll do, you know, all that other stuff. Uh, you know, you just keep focused on working with this, the uh, design team and the, and the factory to make the bags better and better great you know and and he was relieved you know he was a great oh my god this is a dream you know to to just be able to focus on what to him is the fun part now i have another guy tim who's like my supply chain guy he loves this stuff he loves wrestling with a 3pl and figuring out the best way to make things happen and you know and so everybody has their strengths and setting people up for what they really enjoy doing and what they're good at uh is is critical right so again Accountability chart, expectations, communication uh, is just critical.
0: So I, I wonder if the takeaway for that is for listeners is, you know, when, when contemplating how much you want the seller con- to remain in the business, if, you, if it's more than just kind of a consulting contract uh, where they're, you know, downloading their knowledge into your brain, if they're actually active in the business, if it's like having that conversation that you just had, what do you enjoy about the business? What are you really good at? And then and then setting a really bright red line fence, if you will, <laughs> around everything else. And they can't really they say, okay, you' if you're really into sales, you can continue doing sales and, yep. and let me do everything else or, or something like that. Just re, redefine where they'll sit in the organization and, and allow them to do what they love and, and less of what they don't love. But that also means that they can't really, you know, you guys won't be stepping on each other's toes there.
1: Yeah. And, and right. And just being, you know, no, he can certainly make suggestions and he does, you know, and, yeah. and I'll ask him, Hey, here's a marketing idea. You no, know, he's kind of a, he's a marketing guy in his other job and his, you know, his other uh, position. And so mm. he certainly has marketing knowledge. and so I'll bounce ideas off of him and things like that. Uh, and he'll suggest things, but, but he understands the dynamic that ultimately, you know, he's going to suggest stuff, but that's not his wheelhouse. And, you know, that's not what, you know, ultimately I'm going to make the decision. That's all, you know, it's just clear communication. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Martin, anything I didn't ask that you would let the listeners know about where you are and Upper Park is and the whole process?
1: No, I think we covered it. Um, you know, I, I think just e-commerce will continue to evolve. I, I still think that, you know, D2C has a place. And I think with the right brand story and the right operational efficiency, you can be very, very successful. I don't think everyone has to just give it up and say, well, we're just going to sell on Amazon. I, I don't think that's true. And matter of fact, I think over time that's going to be less true. Uh, so I still believe in D2C and in brand and in storytelling and in the connections that you can have uh, with people through products. Uh, right. And so I think, you know, I, I would encourage anyone who's looking to do it. Uh, to, to lean into those things uh, and, 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 you know, when, it, when it works, it can be incredibly rewarding.
0: Great. Great note to end on. And if one, people want to get in touch with you, Martin, any questions, is email still the, your preferred way? Yeah, sure. I'm Martin at upperparktiscgolf.com. Yeah. Great. Thanks for coming back on Martin. It's been a great update. Appreciate your time and, and you're sharing all of this with us. You bet. Well, thanks.